0: You've got this video of George Floyd for nine minutes pleading for his life, saying he can't breathe, and the police officer kneeling on his neck, not even caring that people the black the black community is pleading with the police officer to get off of his neck, and the other police officers are standing there doing nothing, and that's where. There's this uprising and and anger because that is just too much to, to bear. There's too much to bear because this man did nothing. He literally did nothing and he gets killed.
1: This is about humans dreaming together. About humans supporting each other on our journeys. It's about the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. To the students of life.
0: The young and the curious.
1: The dreamers and the doers. For those who crave to be a strong individual and want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dreamology Podcast. Welcome everyone to the Dreamology Podcast. Dreamology is the study of the art and the science behind making our dream lives a reality. And here we are focused on giving you the mindset, tools and strategies for making daily progress towards your dreams no matter where you are in your journey. My name is Tim Bishop and I'm the co-founder of the Dreamers Initiative. I'm a student of life and I'm a life conversation junkie who is on a mission to identify how to truly live the dream life and help you do the same. Our guests on this show include best-selling authors, neuroscientists, entrepreneurs, and dream chasers around the world They share their knowledge, greatest stories, and life lessons with us. Before we dig in, I want to mention this podcast is brought to us by the Dreamers Initiative, which is a personal development community that is on a mission to help Gen Z and millennials and young individuals out in the world awaken their dream life and make them a reality. We believe that humans are stronger together and that together we can accomplish anything. So let's get started on today's episode. Hello everyone. Today we're having another very important conversation about racism in America. And today's guest is Daniel Oaken. He is the co-founder of Active. He is a Minnesota and Minneapolis native, and he lives just a few blocks from where the George Floyd murder took place. In this episode, we talk about his experiences with racism. We talk about what policy changes are being enacted, Uh, such as 8 Can't Wait and why people are talking about defunding the police. We talk about his four-step model for making personal change in your own life, as well as just a lot of different things in the lens of politics, in the lens of how white people should be viewing racism, how black people should be viewing racism, and a whole lot of other very important topics. So I'm really grateful that you tuned in to this episode. Again, if you're here, if you saw the title, it probably means that you're ready to grow, you're ready to make change, and you've acknowledged that dream chasing is a lot more than just you. Dream chasing is helping others do the same, helping others make sure that we all have the same playing field, helping others live a Helping others live abundant and full lives. And so, topics like this, such as racism in America, are really important for all of us, for the collective well being of humanity. And so, again, I'm grateful you're here. I'm grateful that you're making the effort to grow and to be the change that we want to see in the world. So, without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Daniel. And well, let's, let's, let's dig in. I feel like I just want to know how you're doing. Let me know how you're feeling today. Like it's been what, 11 days now? Um, just how, where's your, where's your mindset at and, and where's your emotions at today coming into this conversation? Um,
0: yeah, I, I think for me, it's been a process of, of learning and, uh, taking a step back and, a really I mean, there's a lot of emotion at, at, at the beginning and, and through the process of like anger and pain and, and sadness from seeing even the video of what happened with George Floyd and getting killed by the police and uh you know I, I just I literally when I when I first the day that the day after it happened and the videos came out I ran um to Cup Foods which is like a mile and a half from me and I like was just kind of standing there just like taking it all in and I think there's a lot of anger um but what I saw that really helped me believe in humanity um and and even the city of Minneapolis was there's people from every kind of of background like there's quite a bit of white people there's quite a bit of you know you know there's black people and and you know Hispanics like there's just like all these different types of backgrounds and um which i really think was amazing to see and uh it kind of gave me some it gave me some hope at the beginning and and i think seeing that and like even with all the pain there is so much support in terms of the black lives matters movement and i think developing that and and the like conversations that have come out of that um you know this last week like we had riot we had riots going on like where i live like Wells Fargo burned down like two blocks away from me like a gas station burned down another like a block like so there's so much stuff going on and you're you're trying to deal with the emotions of you know diving into the the topics and discussions of racism for the people around you your friends and family as well as yourself and then also you know dealing with all the noise all the craziness and also trying to like work and, and, and live a normal life. So, um, this week, like the end of this week has been a lot, um, this has been better um, in terms of my energy levels. Uh, it's been a little bit more continent. And also, I mean, seeing the justice that Minneapolis is, is bringing to the police officers that were, that should be held accountable for the, for the death of George Floyd. Uh, I think those are good steps in the right direction. And, it makes me excited because I know that these are the first few steps, but they'll continue. Like this isn't the this isn't the end. This is only mm. the beginning, which really gives me a lot of hope. Uh, it's not just hey, justice for George Floyd means these guys need to be charged with second degree murder and they're going to go to jail for you know however many years and that's it. It's systemic problems that are being addressed and. I think that to me gives me a lot of hope. And so like, I think over the progress over the last you know 10 days has given me some, some true hope to believe that we can improve as not only in Minneapolis, the state of Minnesota, but in the U S the changes that we're going to really call to see are, are going to be incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's been some like small wins, right? Where you're like, okay, this is, you know, the officer's charge being upgraded to second degree murder was like okay that's a that's a small win it's just a charge so far but it's a win and and i think yeah i mean seeing the even like you said the cleanup in minneapolis and and uh just people working together and then not to mention nationwide and worldwide protests and there's something even though it's a dark moment that i've looked at too and been like okay you know this isn't perfect but I like seeing people coming together and feel like there's a a lot of force behind this. And, uh, so I totally feel you, man. Um, let's, uh, let's start with kind of your background and your stories. I was kind of curious, like, you know, again, being someone who hasn't really experienced racism in my own life, like how early in your life, like how young were you? Do you remember your first moments of experiencing racism or being aware of like, Oh wow, this is, this is still prevalent in, uh, you know, in, in, in my life, like how, how young were you and what was that first memory of, of you experiencing something?
0: Yeah. So for me, my first actual memory, uh, I'll kind of give a, a little background of, for me. So, um, I grew up until I was nine in, in the twin cities, suburb called Richfield. And then, uh, my family, um, my, my mom and my stepdad, which my mom's white, my stepdad's white. Um, we, uh, and so we had kind of a, bit of a mixed family, moved out to a small town, um, at west of the twin cities, um, west of Minneapolis and really small, uh, predominantly, um, you know, white community. Uh, and, uh, but it was to me, you know, it was just, it was not anything. I didn't know anything. Like I, I just was a kid, you know, um, and then i see myself as different in any way. Our family was very mixed in terms of, you know, the even our backgrounds in terms of like, I had two siblings that were also mixed like me, my, you know, my dad's Nigerian, my mom's white. So it wasn't necessarily, we didn't really talk about race much growing up. We didn't talk about anything like that. Uh, so it wasn't something that I really, uh, it was a topic that I even knew to talk about. But when we did move, uh, I started I was in fourth grade, and I remember I was walking down to the to the to recess, um, and I was uh, this kid was walking past me, and he he said, "Oh, that's a nigger," and and I like I heard that, and I looked, but I didn't understand at the time, at that at that moment until the teacher reacted, and the kid got in trouble, and he had to apologize to me um but that was my first experience of racism he was in 3rd grade i mean I, I couldn't even imagine right like it, yeah. it something that like looking back i'm like man holy shit like this kid was taught like that this person myself you know my col- my skin color that's what to call me you know from you know his parents or whatever or whoever taught him that and and that was my first experience and i think because of the place I lived in, a rural Minnesota, I think I experienced racism quite a bit, but I think it it got normalized for me. You know, if Mm. somebody treated me badly, like a teacher treated me badly, which happened, I didn't really take it as racism. I just think I just internalized it. and I was, you know, just kind of let it kind of fall off my back because it happened a lot. And I think a lot of times doesn't matter if somebody lives in a rural location like as a black person that that happens quite a bit you know you walk down the street or you're in a parking lot you're going into the grocery store and a you know lady looks at you and she she clutches her purse or she locks her car three times that's happened to me countless times mm-hmm. and i'm just sitting there just shaking my head like what am i gonna do? you know you look at me and you, you lock your car three times like what's the point and and those are the kind of situations. But in terms of when I was growing up, um, that was mm-hmm. that was the first uh experience, at least that I remember. Uh and, and I think it kind of shows like kids can, can get taught these things and that's why it's so important that we we teach our kids uh how to be anti racist, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so like two examples you just gave there is like one is like pretty outwardly racist obviously the the experience in the school and the other one is like those simple day-to-day things of you walking into a grocery store and somebody you know locking their car three times like is like you said do you eventually is that just like a kind of a defense mechanism to keep yourself sane where like you build that that shell to try to kind of normalize it in your own world. So it doesn't like hurt you every time you see something like that. Or, you know, like as you get older, I assume you become more aware of all the things that have happened, you know, yeah, I understand yeah. why some people are so angry. Right. It's like, how do you, how do you even keep yourself at that level headed place when you're, you're seeing these things? Yeah, I
0: think normalization is is such an interesting thing because we the environment we're around usually becomes a normal thing for us so as things happen more and more we just they become what ha- happens and that's why i think it's easy to say it, hindsight's 2020. like if i wasn't in nazi germany and i wasn't you know not a jew i would have done this this and this no you wouldn't have for the for likely that you would have just followed along with everything because it was normal at the time that's what everyone was doing and so like in the situations where people are, you know, have, you know, not outwardly racist, uh, for me, I think I've, sometimes I've gotten angry internally, like I've gotten upset. And I'm just like, wondering why somebody thinks I'm going to go and, you know, try to, whatever, steal something from their car or whatever they think me as a black person is going to do. But a lot of times, it's just like, you know, whatever, like, they're, Usually, I just think, okay, well, they're probably ignorant, in thinking, you know, something about me. But that's kind of for me, like that's that's what I've had to do. And I think for a lot of black people, it's, it's you've had to just kind of be able to adjust, and you have to be able to, you know, in a police car, the police pulls you over, you make sure you do the right things, you put your hazard lights on, you put your keys on the dashboard, you put your hands on the wheels, and you do all those things, you roll, like you do everything possible to make sure you don't get in any type of altercation or they don't suspect you as being uh, a threat. So yeah, Yeah. it's not preferable, but you have to, you know, at this point you still have to like deal with it. And there's not like, you can't, if, if you yell lady like I saw you lock your keys three times, what is that really going to do in the moment? It's, it's really not going to do much. Um, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so like over time as you like can you give me examples some more cuz i think again like when i when we think of racist white people think of racist things we're thinking about these very like obvious big things right like yeah. in school we're taught um you know slavery and segregation and martin luther king and now we're taught like killings but can you just speak more on kind of like that those different day to day things and um and then as it like as you get older like you know it's almost like how are you learning? Like you said, when the officer comes, you're learning, like I got to do everything right. And that's not something that I ever have to think about. Uh, But with all these day-to-day things, like, is this every single day? Is this weekly? Like, you know, how often are these things happening? And, and, you know, what are, what are um, some examples, like besides just kind of like the police officer, I guess, example?
0: Yeah, I guess it depends on your environment because I live in South Minneapolis, it's pretty diverse and I feel like it I I'm kind of like I like the diversity and it's it's not as often as you're seeing people doing things overtly or even like I guess under the radar racist like kind of like um, like that but uh, the I guess it it can happen at times where depending on where you are but sometimes you just kind of get used to it so you don't look at it like a friend messaged me and she said she told me this whole story of what happened to us when I was I think when we were in like high school at a restaurant like apparently this lady was extremely rude to me and was nice to everybody else and but I didn't notice like you don't notice some of those things because they kind of become part of like this whole clump of, of things that happen and and so for me like I don't know how often that happens but I do know like when you kind of get used to it and so when you get used to it you're not necessarily saying like oh well this happened like a few times this week it's just like you know you kind of expect if you're walking in this lady's walking like kind of close to you she's clutching her purse you're like okay well you know it happens um but it happens more often than you think um and i think there's things that people say in conversation especially like when you're getting to know somebody or if they feel comfortable with you, they can say things like you're some people have said this, they're, you're the whitest black person I, I know, you know, to me, that doesn't it at the first glance sound like doesn't sound super racist, but actually, what it's saying is showing that you think black people should talk like this, should dress like this should, you know, maybe not speak the way I speak, you know, and you know, there's, there's a spectrum where you're saying this black people need to fit into this, this whole, this like square peg that I, that I, you know, have for them and you don't fit that. So you seem white. No, that's, that's actually racist. That's actually not how it should go. You should just see me as, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm mixed and black. So like, it doesn't matter how I speak, what I, what I dress like. Those are just parts of a person, a human being. And and I think there's things like that where in the language that people do um, and talk about that that are that have been accepted in the past that people I think are starting to understand like that's really not okay. There's things going on and speaking out about that, um, especially as, as white people. So like if there's conversations you're having with people and they're saying things that are racist that in the past, like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and years, like there's been a progress, like, like 50 years ago, you could have, people could have said like horrible things that people were like accepted, they laughed about, or they're like, yeah, 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 you know, um, you know, 10 years ago, maybe a little, like a little less, but still a little bit racist. And now, now the language people say things that could be, you know, viewed racist, not overtly like, you know, saying, calling somebody the N word or something like that, that end up being something that white people can call out and have a discussion about and, right. and advocate for you know the black community saying like that's not okay what you just said and talking about that and and giving giving accountability for the the language that people have and and the viewpoints that people have because we're not going to see progress in in terms of community wise and like connection level between Every type of background—black community, white, you know, Asian—like all the different types of backgrounds. If we don't have those conversations, having within our own communities as well.
1: Right. I think a, a pop culture example of that right now is the Drew B, the Drew Brees case, right? Like where it's like he says yep. something, and everybody is like, "Yo, no, nope, not, not the time, not the place, no. and just wrong, and just no. Let's just let's just And I thought that was cool. And then, you know, who knows if his apology was sincere, but you know, maybe I'm sure, like no doubt at least caused him to be like, okay, yeah, I probably screwed that up, you know? And that's where the accountability is like, it's huge.
0: Yeah. And that's the difference where I feel like today there's a whole plethora of humans and people that are speaking up about these things, not just black people saying, this is wrong. You're treating me wrong. You're saying things wrong to me. You are, we're being killed by the police. We're being oppressed. We're the, you know, we're still, you know, there's been redlining in the past. We don't have, you know, we're impoverished We're these are things you know, we don't have good educations. Like these are things that are happening. Now more people are accepting that Yes, these are issues. We need to fix. We need to figure this out together. Mm-hmm. And we we are part of the problem. We're also part of the solution. And yeah, the Drew Brees. It, I think um, I think Shannon Sharp was, was Shannon Sharp was thought he had like a really good response, um, to the the discussion about what happened, like what Drew Brees said, and and about how like Drew Brees mentioned his grandparents went to you know they served in World War Two, and the fact that. The same people who served in World War II that were white, the black, you know, people who served in World War II, they came back, they had they were said they said they were gonna have freedom, but they came back and they were beaten killed for wearing a uniform if they did. And they were they were not able to buy homes if they applied for homes. VA loans were only given to white people, so the no money down VA loans were only given to white people after the war. Up until right. the late '60s, like these are these are like like this is what happened. Um, and FHA loans, which are government-backed loans, were not also not accepted for for Black people um, for for years and years and years until I think the '70s, so or maybe the late '60s. So like these are things that were like it's hard, and that's why so many people I think were triggered in that statement of like it's talking about World War II, where Black people went and fought and then they came back and had zero rights like that i think that's that was where like i think and he was talking about kneeling
1: and the flag and like it's like yeah
0: you gotta read the room man and you gotta understand what's going on yeah
1: yeah i mean i i don't know how you know another thing i think is interesting about we don't get too big into the flag discussion but you know i think that it's it's interesting how i read a book a couple months ago not about racism but just about how um, different countries view themselves. And I think it was the Costa Rican flag or something like standard for peace. And Mm -hmm. it was really interesting that kind of the American flag is often associated with like war and military Mm -hmm. because I just find that to be interesting. It's like there's issues here in America and if I'm standing against the U S it doesn't mean that I'm against the people who fought for us or that I'm against, you know, it's like, for some reason it's, it's always gotta be you're disrespecting, you know, the troops that fought for our country. And it's like, no, like, that's not what I'm going, like, you know, I just find it so weird that, that, that can be such a, like a, a point of controversy where it's just like, no, there's a clear issue here. It's not like I'm trying to say, you know, I don't respect your grandfather for going to World War II. This is just like, yo, I'm being treated poorly and so have my ancestors for 400 years. Mm-hmm. Can we talk? Can we talk about this?
0: Yeah, and that's why I think not to well, this is going to get political in a sense because it just it just has to be like said is like making America great again. What what does that look like? Do you know what when America was great, let's say in the 50s? In the '60s, guess what was happening? Segregation, Jim Crow laws. The black people were not even get like, the black people were brutalized. Like, like people. James James Till got just like he got literally killed because a white woman lied that he whistled at her, and four white men took him from his home, and lynched him. And like these are the things that happened in the '50s and '60s. And this is when America was great right so those are the times when i'm like "Mm, i personally don't want to go back to where when america was great again in that state i want to see what a great America. what i think we've got a great thing like we've got a great future ahead of us if we can get these things right and that's to me that's the most important thing
1: yeah yeah yeah, it should just be make America great. Like let's just make it great in the future because it hasn't been there hasn't been a a great spot. And yeah, I mean I dude, I'm I'm okay with getting political because I at this point I feel like I mean you have to be anti-Trump. I mean, I don't care if somebody listened to this isn't. It's just like if you are standing up for these issues and you're seeing all the things that have been said, I just watched the thirteenth documentary two days ago when he's talking about the good old days when white officers could publicly do what they're trying to do privately to black people. And he's, you know, talking about that, um, you know, rape case in New York city. I don't remember how long, how back long ago that was. And, you know, just, just multiple scenarios of him being overtly racist. And this is why people keep talking about voting. Like, again, if, if you're anti-racist, you're not going to vote for people who are clearly, you know, he's, he's bringing, that was his whole campaign is bringing out these hidden values, which again, we could talk about a silver lining, maybe they, and the lesson is they needed to be exposed. We needed yeah. to see that this was still here, but mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, it's uh crazy that the head of our country can't even say black lives matter.
0: Yeah. You know? And, and you know, tr- trout, like saying like law, I'm the law and order president and the candidate for law and order and law and order has never been a a good thing for the black community because law and order has meant um, suppression oppression and brutality and to me that shows and and my issue has been so like for me it's been an interesting thing because i own business and i have real estate and I understand that, you know, on the conservative side, people who are supportive of like businesses, there, there are some points to be had about that. But when I look at human beings and civil rights, I look at that side and say, no way. They're like, I don't care how much I'm going to get a tax break on this. I don't know. I care how much money I'm going to make. It doesn't compare to the lives that are, that are improved and and people who are, in poverty and and black people who have been oppressed for me to be like, I'm going to support a man who literally does not acknowledge the fact that black lives are being oppressed and they have been oppressed. And for a man who, you know, like you're talking about the Central Park Five, that's that's what you're talking about. Uh, They were accused of raping a woman in Central Park. They they were essentially, Lied to in their interrogation. They're between 14 and 17 years old, uh, all just kids, and they so they were all accused. They were all acquitted later because they were found innocent. In the midst of them being accused, Donald Trump put a full page uh, paper on the on the New York Times. He he bought a full page to say that he wanted death penalty for these five kids, these five black kids. He wanted death penalty for them. And so like that to me, if you do that for somebody, if, you, if you're if you there and he and he comes, they asked him, they asked him just recently, what do you think? He's like, I wouldn't have done anything different. This is what I still believe. Like I, he literally does not have any regrets for any of that. And when you have that, I just, to me, that it, it feels like you just don't care about humans in, in terms of black, like, at least black people um, in general. And, and even if you say, yeah, uh, I support black people, eh, uh, your actions speak louder than your words to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I got a thought in my mind going back like a little bit, we just never got back around to it. Um, when you had said the thing of like, you're the whitest black person that I know. Uh, Cause I've been, you know, thinking about that within the context, you know, it's, again, I feel like that could be something a lot of white people say, or like, I have, I had no, I have some black friends, but it's almost like you're wondering if they're comp- like, again, viewing those black friends like, Oh, but they're, they're one of us. Like they're, and then everybody else is, is, is separate. And, yeah. and that's, you know, I think that that's where those unhealthy thoughts can then just continue on. Like you can have a, a black friend, but they're, they're the, you know, exception they're, they're different. And I think it's just so, I mean, it's just, it's a scary thing to view again, all races as certain types. Cause again, we know that there's crazy white people that there is crazy black people that there is crazy. I mean, it's, there's good. And bad. again, we are all the same. And so that chunking mindset, I think is, is so negative. And I just wanted to thank you for bringing that up because I, again, I think that that happens a lot. Um, and again, people saying like, cause I, this is again, something that I've said, you know, I have like, well, I've always had black friends. Like I grew up playing basketball. I was, one of two white kids on a 13 person team, but it doesn't mean that I I was any different, you know? And I think that that's what I'm learning is like, it doesn't necessarily matter that I've always had black friends and I've always hung out with black people. I'm still a part of the issue here. I'm not like the exception. I'm not like the better of the whites. Like this is still, this is still in me. And I feel like we all need to recognize that uh, right now, no matter where we're at.
0: Yeah, and to be able to recognize that and say like I'm I'm just jumping into this book How to Be Anti-Racist and and I'm finding that book to be really valuable because he talks about we make choices every single day that are either racist or anti-racist or we we chew like it's a it's a process and it's a fluid thing. It's not like one day I wake up I'm like I am anti-racist like and now I'm I've made it like we. It, it's not like that it's we, we this is process and, and we learn and we understand and we we make conscious decisions and as we make those conscious decisions, we just we kind of go down this road of Understanding better and like you're saying like you could you could really be Like you could love and connect with black community or black friends and things like that And you could you could go somewhere else and you could see a black person and they don't fit what you think of actually or they fit maybe your viewpoint of a thug or something and you're like oh you you try to avoid them or or you see them even if it's just in your mind like that to me is like you have to check yourself and be like what can i do to process what's going on here and fight against this feeling or fight against this bias which is racism internally um and and you know going back to what you're saying is like yeah, when people say those things and think those things, it's just readjusting and understanding even the language, like your conversations. We know that, you know, like we've grown so much in the growth of understanding like the LGBTQ community, like knowing and understanding like the, even the language and understanding and, and, and not having like, you know, there's there used to be such like homophobic type of like feelings with so many people, but understanding and growing and, and really getting to know people that are in those communities and, and, and connecting with people as, as human beings, not just like they're there and we're here and I'm here and and they're different than me, so I don't really wanna to get to know them. Like it's, there's that place where I think we've we've been um, in a lot of ways and, and we're, we have to pull, pull out of it and pull away from that or else, um, you know, we have to kind of see and and see people as as who they are and connect with them and, and truly go, you know, go to people where they're at, because that's really important part of the process.
1: Yeah. Man, it reminds me of, I mean, we've been seeing so many good quotes on Instagram and whatnot, but I don't remember who said this, but they kind of said it's, it's really hard to hate something close up and it's hard to love something far away. And it's a great example of even again, that flawed thinking of, oh no, like I have a black friend and he's, you know, he's just like me. And it's like, well, actually probably all black people are just like you. You're just not getting close enough to, to understand that love that you have for each other. Right. Or, you know, in any other communities you just mentioned too. Right. It's like when you get closer, you realize, oh yeah, no, we're like 99% the same. Yeah. We have differences and you know, maybe personality or, and this is each individual. I'm not talking like races, yeah, you know, yeah. everyone's got their own differences. And so I, I liked that reminder too, of if you don't understand a problem, you don't understand something. You can't hate it unless you're close to it. You can't judge it unless you're close to it because you probably yeah. just don't know.
0: Yeah. And that's why you find a lot of people who only see things on TV. Like think about somebody growing up watching cops. So they were, they were literally,, you know, programmed to view black people as cops are going out, finding the bad guys, bad guys, they chase after they arrest. and that's good. These cops are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, you have now you see the reality. If you're up close, you're living in these places where the police are, are really not treating black people well and there's you know, police brutality, and you're seeing up close you're like wow this isn't what i th- thought it was actually these most of these people aren't doing anything bad or if they like if, if it is they are doing something bad they don't they don't the crime doesn't equal the the results of what they're being treated by you know like somebody who like there's a you know we, we see these pictures of like the white like you know mass murders and in, in terms of like the gun gunmen killing you know 10, 20, 30 people, and them being given, like, he, I think one of the guys, he was hungry, so they stopped and got him Taco Bell, or Burger King, or something on his way, like, most of them, they, they, like, treat them very well, and then, you know, for counterfeiting, a, counterfeiting possible forgery of a $20 bill, this is what happens to George Floyd, so there's this, like, imbalance of, like, he gets a, he gets in handcuffs, if that was a, if that was a white man, there would be no way that he would get any, like he would not get arrested. He would not like, he would not be treated that way. He would have been maybe given a ticket. I don't know. Like, I don't know what type maybe of- Maybe even just a
1: warning, honestly. Yeah.
0: Like he would have just been, so like that to me is like where we're having to see like, okay, there's this difference in, in being treated, but understanding and seeing that is that first part. Because a lot of people are like, especially the, now with social media, you can choose what you're consuming. So if you're consuming, you know, this information on one side versus the other, where, first off, there is not one side versus the other, it's like, what people are saying is, which I agree with, is either racist versus, versus you know, everyone else, right? So, like, that, you're either on the side of the racists or you're on the side of everyone else, which is anti-racist. There's no, like, middle ground, there's no, like, well, I'm conservative, I'm Republican. Yeah, if you're Republican, cool like do your thing you know, do whatever you want, believe what you want. But it's not about that. It's not about being blue or red.
1: Mm-hmm. It's about being anti-racist or racist. Yeah. 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 And I, and the conversation I had yesterday, we talked about that a lot and I just liked the distinction of, of again, saying, cause again, we can get into this too, where it's just like people are are scared. They don't know what to do. White people in a sense, they don't know what to do. They don't, you don't want to admit their, their flaws and vulnerabilities. But what I'm realizing is again, being anti-racist, you can say, yeah, no, I do have flaws. I do have, you know, you know, subconscious biases and stereotypes that I have grown up with and people around me have grown up with, but, but I'm against it. Like I'm against it. I want to, I want to be better. And I think that that's a, a good place to start is just saying, yep, I have this, but I want to, you know, I want to do more. I want to be better.
0: Yeah. And that's where I think the resources come into play where um, there's, there's some books actually have, like, I just started buying a ton of books. So like one book is actually half right here. It's damn from the beginning. It's a massive book. Look at this. Um, But So like the same author, I'm going to mess up with Ibram Kendi, I think is is how you pronounce it. He wrote this book as well as um, how how to be anti-racist. And then another book, so I would, recommend both of those. And then also, um, I am not your Negro by James Baldwin. It's mm. also doc- documentary, um, as well, uh, about his life, but those would be like a few ways to start the conversation yeah. internally as you're reading. Um, uh, because I think a lot of times people get overwhelmed by being told, you know, you're, you know, you have to deal with your racism, you're racist, blah, 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 blah. But the, they don't get a chance to take time to explore that themselves. So I know we see a lot of stuff on social media and people are confused, especially like what to do and what to say. And I think it's less about what to say than what to learn and what to understand and and how Mm. to just get clarity. Um, And and once we do get clarity and you see the history and you watch documentaries and the movies and read the books then you get a clear picture and it's mm. it's just like anything like until you start to understand like for example go back to the health thing until you really understand nutrition you can think that going to McDonald's every day is actually a good thing cuz you're you know you're only you're eating a burger without cheese on it or something cuz you think that's healthy but right. you don't realize that that's extremely unhealthy for you and you know, you're getting less salt on your fries. So you think that, so like you think that it's healthy because this is your, your framework of thinking Right, right. until you start to learn and understand, you're not going to really understand what's healthy and what's unhealthy in terms of racism and Mm anti-racism.
1: Yeah. Knowledge change, knowledge changes that framework, right? That's, I don't know. Yesterday I saw somebody who had kind of three simple words and it was just knowledge, empathy, and then, you know, whatever action you can take. And I feel like it almost might be beneficial to break those up into a step-by-step process. Because again, right away for me, I'm like, what can I do? What can I, and all of a sudden there's this growing pot of you're feeling overwhelmed. Like you want to do everything you want to, but then it's like, this isn't about being the first white person to figure it out in the next week. Right. This is about this is about the process of just growing and evolving, and so for me, like something as simple as watching that thirteenth documentary, which takes an hour and a half, like anyone can simply do that in two seconds, and instantly you have some knowledge. Instantly you build a little bit of empathy, right? And it's like yes. maybe the next thing yes. you read, a little bit more knowledge, a little more empathy, and then if you feel called to act in a big way, you do that. If you're called to act and just like when you see things, you call them out, you do that, right? It's And so I kind of liked that chunking process of like knowledge, build the empathy, take the action. Cause then you're not just like, Oh my God, this is like, like, what do I do?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then that, I think that's a good way to go. I kind of broken it down into four things and that's listen, ask the questions that you need to. Cause I think if you ask questions first, you're going to miss out on what people are already saying. Mm. And And I think that's like if, and that's why I think a lot of like the black community are like, I'm tired because they've shared this stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff out there that they've already shared. Um, And so I think they're tired of like sharing it over and over and over again, where if you do listen, you're like still have questions, then you ask the questions and then you learn and then you take action, which I think empathy is like the listening and learning part of like, it's kind of like a teamwork thing. And, And as you build that empathy, and you, you understand what's going on, like what's been going on in the shoes of, of, the black, of the black community and black individuals, then you can step in and say, these are the actions I know I can take as an individual. And and these are the things that I can do t- for my sphere of influence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so going back to like, you know, again, you see And again, I'm not exactly sure my timeline here, but you see the poet for it's like 240 years of slavery, hundred years of segregation. And now there's kind of this, this place that we're in now, and it seems like, you know, again, the timeline might be off here, but the last 50 to 60 years, most protests and riots have stemmed out of some form of police brutality, some sort of injustice. And so you know, I want to dive into that a bit, but I also want to understand like, why do you think now? Like why George Floyd? Why is, I've never seen as much, you know, content out there. I've never seen as much like proposed, like here's this, you know, eight can't wait the eight things for police officers. Like I've never seen and defund the police, which I don't even really know what that is. I don't know if you can touch on that, but you know, it's yeah. why, why now? And can you maybe speak on some of those proposed changes that are, that are surfacing? Cause I don't feel like I know enough about those and I don't know how, in tune you are with those either. I know we all have a lot to learn still.
0: Yeah, so I think, so in terms of the why now, I think there's this culmination of things. So we've got COVID that really has made people have to stay home and be isolated um, and has made people slow down. And there's not a bunch of things people are doing at the same time and, and have people really kind of, as a whole, take some steps back. And, you know, so you've got COVID going on. And you've got a mass amount of people who have been unemployed and the impact of the black community has been great as well in terms of unemployment. Uh, But then you've also have a good amount of the black community who are in really important essential services. So you've got nurses, you've got, you know, people working in, let's say, you know, different parts of that are essential work throughout throughout the whole, you know, in in urban areas and, and cities. And, and so you've got this whole, really a lot of things that are kind of a perfect storm going on. And then we have Ahmaud Arbery who, who gets killed by these two white men who literally lynch it. Like it's a, it was a lynching. Yeah. And then you have, um, I'm going to say her, her name, Tiana, um, her last name, I, I, she got the story about the no knock, no knock warrant that they literally Mm. just, right knocked the door in and the, her, her boyfriend thought it was a break-in and he, he did a shot and then they shot her eight times, Breonna Taylor, shot her eight times and killed her. And, and, then, and then I think these are just a couple and it, it's really funny to me. So real quick, I hear some people saying in the conservative side, like, well, the media is really kind of only talking about this stuff every four years. I'm like, No there's been black people being killed constantly by in terms of police brutality. And it's not just happened every four years. That's, that's not, that's not the case. And that's, that's ignorance saying that that, that's the case. You look at the the list of all the names that, that have been killed and it's staggering. But in terms of, you know, that, so you've got these, this perfect storm, and then you've got this video of George Floyd, for nine minutes pleading for his life, saying he can't breathe. And the police officer kneeling on his neck, not even caring, that people, the black the black community is pleading with the police officer to get off of his neck. And the other police officers are standing there doing nothing. And that's where there's this uprising and, and anger because that is just too much to, to bear. There's too much to bear because this man did nothing. He literally did nothing and he gets killed because of it. And I think this perfect storm of, of that and the combination of these things, people knowing that this isn't right across the board. I mean, we're talking about, and, and that's why I'm saying like when it got there's white people, there's like all these people and communities. And so you've got that perfect storm. So we're finding out that police maybe aren't necessarily doing exactly what we, what we thought they were doing or what a lot of people, white people, like what they were tasked to do was to suppress and oppress black people and, and other things. I'm not saying all, black, all cops are, are, are bad cops, but in, in terms of what was created, there's enforcement and there's a lot, of, like the, a lot of the enforcement and there's a lot more police officers in urban areas. Um, and so there's that part in terms of the, the different initiatives and the things that are going on, uh, so it can't wait and, uh, defunding the police, we'll kind of talk about a few different things. So what's, what's been going on and there's been efforts to do this, for example, Black Lives Matter movement has been going on since, since Trayvon Martin was, was killed. And then essentially when they, when they didn't convict um, the murder of Trayvon Martin to they, they set him free or they, they said he was not guilty. That's when the Black Lives Matter movement began. Uh, at least the, the what it is today began in 2014. And they've been focused on, you know, Black Lives Matter, but also focused on, you know, fighting police brutality and, and the, the killing of black black people. <coughs> and so there's there's that part, and with, in terms of the eight can't wait, there there are specifically something. they found that there's eight things that happen um, to in, in terms of p- police law enforcement that actually if they if we remove these eight things, it would lower the the amount of police brutality cases by seventy two percent. So they they found that that those things, if they, you know, I think one one of the chokeholds, others is you know actually utilizing de-escalation, um, and and I th- there's you know so there's six other ones, but they all combine to actually if, if they're implemented would lower the the brutality cases by seventy two percent, which is quite a bit, and and would really um, help move things forward and help um, kind of bridge the gap between. You know, obviously we want to be hundred percent less but 72 percent is is dramatically less than what it is today um, in terms of defunding the police the argument is this so I think we can use the Minneapolis Police Department as a good example because we're here and, and this is this is a really good understanding so how how a lot of the the current setup works in in the police department and in, in the let's say the Minneapolis Police Department is when a, when a police officer does something that may cause a, a disciplinary action, the police department will undergo the investigation and will choose their discipline. So currently there's a lot of power that's held by the union. So the police, the police union, which is, so the head of the union usually is helping sway and, and advocating for the police officers and for them to not get you know not get in trouble not get disciplined and all that is private. So we don't really we we can they can release some information but like they can say like hey this person has 17 complaints against them. It's very hard to find in the archives mm-hmm. of it's very unorganized as well as the fact that that information of what they actually did isn't isn't there. It doesn't say what they did what the complaint was. It just says there is a complaint. And this is what the action was taken by the disciplinary uh, counselor in, in the police uh, department um, so I think that's one of the discussions and the issues of opening up that part and defunding the police doesn't mean that we're going to not have police officers it means that the money that we would be put towards that, that has been put towards police officers to do specific things like people who are calling and there's a mental health call so somebody is having a mental breakdown why is a police officer coming who has you know deadly weapons has a gun taser like why are they coming to de-escalate a situation when somebody who could be who is much more qualified to deal with something like this come to help the person who needs help because a lot of these situations when the police get involved they actually turn into a you know, some type of um, conflict. So actually they, they escalate it and sometimes a person either gets arrested, sometimes it, there, there are things that happen when it actually don't, doesn't turn out the way that it should have, if somebody knew how to deal with that type of situation. And they've put mm-hmm. money into training the officers to, you know, work on empathy and mental health, but it hasn't really made an impact. So the, the argument for defunding the police is instead of increasing your police officers, increasing your budget, you know, tens of millions of dollars, depending on the the area, put that 50 million into actual mental health programs Mm -hmm. and and community development to create, you know, better places for for kids to get tutored for, so like we're, we're actually figuring out the root of the issue because right now police officers are really just kind of coming to try to take care of the symptoms of the bigger issues. And so I think that's where nobody's saying like, we don't need law enforcement. Well, okay. I'm not gonna say that. There are probably people saying that, but I don't think people, many people are saying we don't need any police officers. We don't need them. We, I think we do need there to be a good, like a good set of police officers who really have great training on how to de de escalate and follow the eight can't wait. items for violent crimes and violent issues. If it's not a violent crime, that's, so if we're looking at that, let's say we, I'm gonna make up a statistic that's not accurate, so don't quote me. Let's say it's 20% of of crimes are violent crimes. So 20% are for the police officers who can deal with this and they're Mm -hmm. trained really well and extensively on this, not just 80 hours of training or 200 hours of training, but thousands of hours of training. So put that time and effort into, so that they can know the last last possible option is to kill somebody with lethal force. So there's that. And then you've got a whole other part where you can can put money into to develop other programs that are gonna actually help communities heal and get better and and actually cure some of the problems that are in the communities versus saying, hey, every time there's a problem, call 911, police can come, they're going to have to deal with all these different issues. I mean, think about a business, if that's what what it was like, like one person knew how to do 100 things, they knew how to develop a a website, they need to do the copywriting, they knew how to, you know, they they knew how to do the accounting, like it doesn't work that way. So why are we asking all of our police officers to do all these different things? Right? Mm. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Man, that's really, I actually, I feel like I saw Andrew Yang make a tweet about that, that there should be a nine, one, two that's, Mm. that's for like things that you're talking about. And thank you for explaining that that's really powerful. And I mean, you think about again, yeah, the rise of mental health awareness of from therapists to coaches, to neuroscience, you know, experts to, you know, people who are just the biochemistry of the body, like those people being sent those people could serve their own purpose and mission better, right? Like I would put my I would put myself like I want to be in that category, right? Of people who can go into few situations and be there for people. And it's it's you're right. It's on the reverse side of things like it actually is ridiculous to expect the officers to be experts in all of these categories because they're not even trained for any of that, right? So it doesn't make sense to put them in scenarios where you know, they have their base train their base training and you know they they don't have anything else and and so yeah that's really powerful man that's really powerful
0: yeah and and i think that's where we need to learn and understand so that i think that's where people hear defund the police and and it takes it does take some time to understand what that really means um because in the end a lot like white people feel protected by the law enforcement. but black people feel very, very scared and afraid when it comes to, like, I could be driving down the street. I have a police officer, you know, drive by me and I'm, I'm doing nothing wrong and I'm still a little afraid. Like, oh shoot, like, you know, like, is everything good? And you know, am I doing everything right? And that's, that's where the big issue is, uh, (laughs) that's a bigger, like it's a big issue, but like, that's where we can, we can solve and we can go towards some change because it's a systemic change that needs to happen.
1: Right. And, and again, the goal, like you said, I mean, if, if there was a system that split things off and in, you know, we've been hearing crazy things like barbers have to go through more training than. You know, police officers, and you know, not to discredit barbers, like everyone loves a good barber. But you know, it's just some <laughs> of these, some of these weird things. It's, yeah, you know, the the idealistic version of this would say, okay, the officers are covering the roles that they are trained to be covered. They're trained well. They have this protocol, and only if things get crazy can an incident happen. And at that point, it probably becomes very clear, saying, did you pro- follow protocol? okay, you didn't, why not? Is there any, you know, some like, and it's, it almost feels like the justice system could do an easier job because it'd be like, okay, you clearly violated steps three, four, five, six, and seven. You know, why should you not be punished for this? And you know, so it almost seems like there'd be more accountability, more training. Yeah. And so it it would be, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. I'm sure there will be changes. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds.
0: Yeah. Well, you have a nurse who's, you know, can get their license taken away from them if they do any negligent things in terms of their patient, in terms of the, the patient care that they're doing. If they are negligent towards their patient, mm. they literally can lose their license and their whole career. So why can't, why are police officers, Immune to any type of disciplinary action or losing their ability to be a police officer if they don't, if they disregard people for their human lives. Even if, like, if they, if they didn't do the things they're supposed to do and take the steps they're supposed to take, and they said, "Oh, you know, it was a split reaction, and I shot him," or you know, I like the dude gets totally just like beat up, and he was like, "Well, he was not doing this." Well you didn't even follow these things. And now we have body cams, we have all these things, but we're finding that we're not actually solving anything by having more surveillance. We're just uncovering the the ugly layer underneath that's been covered up for so long and people have been refusing to look at because now it's all uncovering. It feels like it's all uncovering at the same time. I mean, how many times now we're seeing this last week of police brutality? I mean, I think it was yesterday night, this police officer pushed this guy in Buffalo, New York. It was an old older yeah um, yeah like man who fell Cracked and hit his, his head, head and yeah. yeah and they just walk past and like nothing happened like these are the things that are going on right now that need to be fixed and solved if we don't like and people are starting to see it and if you can't if, if you can't like this is police brutality against now people from different races not just black people and now if people are like, oh, well, that doesn't, you're just kind of trying to stay within your narrative. If you don't believe, if you don't, aren't seeing this type of stuff and that's okay. People can believe what they want to believe, but nobody's setting up this, this old man didn't say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and get pushed down and pretend to, to hit my head. And then none of that stuff is, is scripted. This yeah. is actually happening and we need to fix <laughs> it.
1: <sighs> yeah, it's actually happening. And you see some things, right? Like, I mean, the, obviously the model examples of when officers, you know, have been taking knees, taking their shields off and that's courageous. I'll give it to them, but that's so beautiful to see. You're like, yes, like these people don't want to fight you. Like it's not the people's goal to come and like, you know, kill the police back. Like, that's not why they're protesting. Right? Like, and so things like that, where an officer takes charge and says, Hey, we're here to make sure nothing goes crazy, but like, we're with you. Takes off this. You're like, wow, that's, you know, those are the things you see and you're like, ah, like, like what?" And then you see this guy pushing down an old man and yeah, literally they walked by him and you're like, really? Like not one of them like helped him up, tried to, and there was like 40 of them just standing there. You know, you're like, what are you, what are you looking for? Like there's a man down right in front of you. Like we pick each other up and so, yeah, it's, um, those things are definitely like, yeah, I, th- I think again, with the social media and the era we live in and people are at home working from home on their phones, all of this is like, people are starting to see it and it's, it's you got good. like
0: surveillance, surveillance cameras everywhere. Right? So you've got like every single person is kind of now a surveillance camera and so no everyone's accountable and Mm. we've been accountable we have been accountable for a long time and if anybody especially in the black community does anything wrong we're going to pay for it but now in law enforcement they're finding out that if they do if they do serve and protect then they're fine if you actually do your job and you and you don't you know if you if you call out people who are not doing their job then you're good but if you're not doing your job well, if you're not you're not serving and protecting like you're supposed to be doing, well, of course there's going to be accountability. Of course there's going to be people who are mad. Of course there's going to be people who say you should be fired or if you did something criminal, you should be persecuted as well, prosecuted. But like, yeah. th- that's the thing that like, that is the one of the most important things I'm seeing is like, I really do believe that this change is, should make police officers understand the responsibility that they have as police officers, knowing that it's, yes, they're risking their lives, but they're also in a really important responsibility. It's not a game. It's not like we're going to put on our SWAT gear and we got these fun guns and we can just shoot rubber bullets at people and shoot out tear gas. And we can push old men down and crack their heads open and walk past them and laugh. You're going to be accountable for that. And if you, if you know that you're going to be accountable for these things, you're going to think about what you're doing. And you saw the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people that are accountable versus before that, nobody was accountable. So before that, people said, I'm sure in these conversations internally, like, don't worry about it. You know, this is like, we're not going to, there's not going to be any issues. Like, we'll be able to get off. Don't worry. That's why, I mean, of course I'm going to not follow the rules. If I know every time I don't follow the rules, somebody says, you should have done that. And then I'm like, well, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, well, I can't do anything about it. And then you keep doing that. Of course I'm not going to, I'm not going to treat people. I'm not going to serve and protect the way that I'm supposed to, because I know that there's no accountability. If, if I'm working a job and I'm literally doing nothing every single week and I don't work any hours and nobody comes to say, Hey, have you been doing anything you've been working any hours and you're like, no, nope, actually, uh, yeah, I guess I haven't. And you don't, there's no consequences for me. I just keep, am able to keep doing that. That's a problem. And that's, and I think that's where we're finding like, okay, let's have accountability, but the accountability has to be completely radically different because for example, the union, the head of the union, I don't know if you've heard of Bob Kroll. Um, he's being yeah. talked about more and more and he, you know, he's he's not only just a Trump supporter, but he's been very like he's been in the middle of some very very um, intensive racism things. So racist things. So like he was he was in in involved in the lawsuit with four African American police officers uh, who are accusing the, the Minneapolis Police Department um, of racism. And there's a settlement of eight hundred thousand dollars in two thousand seven. Like he was he was in the middle of all that, and yet the police, the Minneapolis police department voted him, continually voted him to be their union president or union head. And there was 450 votes versus 180 votes. No of him being that union head. So they know who he is Hmm. and they're still accepting that that's, that that's okay. So those are the things it's like, well, you can say not all backups, which 180 cops said, no. So great but the 450 did that said yes to him, to say you're our leader, you get to decide and you get to really be like helping us really understand what we need to do and because the union's very powerful for the police department, Mm -hmm. not okay. And so that's gonna change. And I think the city of Minneapolis and I think many cities will also do this and I, and I, I really hope like we're You know, we both live in in Twin Cities and and I love Minneapolis, Minneapolis is my home. And I really hope that we become the leaders of change and reform in the, you know, in police, in the police part of things and in the systemic racial, like racism and and systemic oppression. Like, I hope we can be, become a beacon of what can happen and what changes can happen. And it has to become like a city thing and a state thing. And, and the federal, like the federal part is one part of it, but the city thing, if each of our cities can decide we're going to change, we're going to have reform. And then that's, that's when a state can take it on. And that's when over a federal level that can take it on. It only happens at a, at a state, a city level first, and then that can ripple, have ripple effects across the board. Mm. So why not where the most horrific thing happened just down the street? for many people in Minneapolis, why can't we also come to the table and say, what can we do to change this together? I've never seen so many people come together from all these backgrounds. Like I've, I've been amazed and that's why at the beginning we were talking about this. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I know that if we can do that, I know we can create something that's radically different, that brings opportunity for the black community that doesn't destroy and oppress and create you know kill and and just destroy the people who who live in this community uh, because we're all we all have to live here and we all you know for for many years we've said you know Minneapolis is or Minnesota is the best one of the best places to live right yeah for white people it is Um, for the majority of black people it's, it's a very difficult place to live so how can we change that to be the best place to live for all people right how can we change that to be like this is an amazing city Minneapolis and the twin cities are really one of the best places to live, no matter what your background is.
1: Dude, That'd be awesome, man. I love that. Even that as like a mission of the state, like let's be the best place to live for all people. Like if that's the underlying tone of, of Minnesota going forward, like it would make you proud to be a part of it. Like that would be, yeah, I love what you just said. I heard that the other day too, where it's like, yeah, Minnesota has been, you know, two or three behind like Hawaii and something for best places to live. And everyone's like, yeah, that's for, that's for white people. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not for everyone. Um, and what is, so is, is, go, uh, Governor Waltz they, they are doing like an internal review or of the, of the Minneapolis police department, or can you, do you know much about that?
0: Yeah. So they're. They started a an internal review of the Minneapolis Police Department that's specifically investigating the last ten years of actions that have looking like looking into and investigating um, inequality and civil civil rights. So it's essentially a civil rights investigation in the Minneapolis Police Department and it's I'm sure it's going to uncover quite a bit of things uh, for the last 10 years, and it's going to probably be pretty, pretty, ugly. And that's why I think there there's going to be, I mean, to do that is saying quite a bit. I mean, you're talking about, um, this is, you know, police department is, is very big part of the city of Minneapolis. And, and I know a lot of schools like the university of Minnesota cut, cut a lot of ties with the Minneapolis police department. I know this, the city of Minneapolis uh, school system, public schools have, have cut ties with, with the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, and But I think that this investigation is going to help get some clarity on what's been going on. And I think if, if there's quite a lot of glaring problems that have happened, I think there'll be a huge dismantling of, of the actual police department and reforming of, of the mm-hmm. actual police department in, in ways that are going to be a positive uh, for, for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That'll be, we'll see what they uncover. I mean, just like you said earlier, like it's, you know, it's people like, I forget what's the officer's name who killed George Floyd. Um,
0: Uh, Derek Chauvin.
1: Yeah. You know how he had, how many, you know, complaints and it's like
0: 17. Yeah. 17 complaints. Yep.
1: So again, there's, there's, there's those glaringly obvious things like, yeah, this man should not have still been doing what he was doing, but you're also curious, like what else are they going to uncover through all this? And, and hopefully they share it with us. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a ugly thing. Like, I think when you pull back the the curtain of something that's so difficult to see, it's going to be, it's things to be fairly ugly. I do, I do think that it's, it, some things will be difficult because you think about the process of them, um, you know, from reports. So like what they reported about, about George Floyd of him dying from a medical issue, like in the initial report of like the police officers saying like, oh, so he was, you know, he was um, under the influence of some type of drugs or, or alcohol and then he had some medical issues, and then he died uh, shortly after he got to the hospital. So that was the narrative, right? That was the reporting that happened in Minneapolis Police Department. And then they did the autopsy, and the autopsy, the coroner said, or the autopsy said, uh, actually, he had pre-existing conditions, and he likely died because he was, he had some type of heart condition, or um, I think it was something like that, and that's part of, like, what Happened in the process of him dying, so you've got these preset tactics done by the police department, where we clearly saw what actually happened. They had an alternative um, autopsy from the George Floyd's um, attorneys and found that okay, well, it wasn't it wasn't from pre-existing health conditions. They killed him from a you know he died from a uh, you know the blood not coming to his brain from his back and his neck. And so to me, the difficult part of that investigation, how much truth are you gonna find out? Because you're gonna to have to talk to the people who are affected because these, these documentations are gonna cover the tracks of the, of the police department's horrible brutality or horrible you know, um, things that they've done in the past, because how can I trust anything? we clearly saw what was happening and we clearly saw lie after lie after lie after lie to cover the tracks, which couldn't be covered at this point. Like there's no way that these tracks were covered. They still did it. So I cannot even imagine if a, you know, police, police, you know, a cop comes and there's no cameras, it's just one black man. He could have done anything he wanted. The person could have died. They could have reported something specifically. I mean, how many black men have died you know, from natural causes or something like pre-existing health conditions and the autopsy says the same thing and they cover the whole thing up? And I, you know, I'm not trying to talk about conspiracy theories, but that's a reality. There's a reality that this has happened countless times in the city of Minneapolis and we don't know because it was something that was just totally covered up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like we said at the beginning, baby steps. We'll, uh, we'll see where, uh, where this all takes us, but you know, it, it, at least there is the initiation of, of some of these things that, uh, you know, seem to be like, okay, this is at least the first step. We might screw up step two, three, but let's keep, pushing to make sure that step two is good and that step three is good and that the end result is better laws, you know, better justice, uh, you know, less systemic racism and the results, the results get there, right? That's, that's what we're going for.
0: And progress, right? So we've got the charges against all the police officers involved in, in in the murder of George Floyd. And then also the investigation in the police department and the actions that are made by different. Like bigger type of organizations like the U of M and the Minneapolis school, uh, school system, like those are important steps that we're taking. And you're right, baby. Like, hopefully, more of the baby steps, but steps, right? Right, right. Steps. Right, steps, taken. steps. <laughs> <laughs> and and in those in those steps, we will see change. And it's going to be a process. Um, I do think that uh, this has been a huge monumental shift. I mean. Mm-hmm. You're talking yeah. about places all over the world protesting Berlin and, and France and the Netherlands. I mean, everywhere. That yeah. Have, have Tokyo and voices. New
1: Zealand and yeah, everywhere.
0: It's on, it's, it's something that I've never seen before in my life. And I think it's, i I'm hearing it from a lot of, you know, a lot of very prominent black voices saying like, this is different. And I think this is, and I said that about, you know, I guess, it's not a great thing, but like with Corona virus, I was in, I was in Thailand and I it was in January and I heard about it from, in China, I'm like, this is weird. This is something that's not right about this. And it you know, turned out to be what it is, but I feel the same way in the other way in terms of the George Floyd killing, where this is something that's completely different than anything else. I think it's changing the narrative and we're talking about things that we need to be talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: this is really gonna propel us forward Towards some really good things to upend the systemic issues that we're having uh today yeah. in the school system and the in the law enforcement and the, and the um you know prison system uh, for for the uh, black community
1: yeah, yeah, we didn't really even get into the again the whole that whole law and order thing and the mass incarceration and I'm just learning now how again all of these things have just been ways to package racism in ways that are more palatable to the public in a sense. That's kind of how I interpret it. It's like all they did was change the form because it's like, you can't say the N word anymore. Okay. We can't publicly lynch people anymore. Okay. What do we do next? How do we continue this? Um, you know, slavery's done, but like the South still needs black people to work for or needs, but you know, wants black people to work for them. So let's for free,
0: almost pretty much for free. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let's figure out a way. And so, you know, that's something that I've been learning about and reading books, just mercy. And, and, um, you know, we are just like, wow, um, this, this, this never left, it's just changed forms to be more elusive, to be more hidden from the public. And, and like we said, we hope that this is, it has been at least for me. And I assume a lot of people, Uh, a wake up moment um and uh it sounds like from people who have been more in touch with this they are saying this this seems a little bit different um so again we're we're hoping and we're fighting and we're learning and and uh growing and yeah i think again growth is growth seems to be like the biggest thing here like we just gotta everyone's gotta commit just like any other part of your life where you're growing just you gotta grow we can't we can't stay where we are. All right everyone, thank you for tuning in to this conversation that I had with Daniel. Again, I want you to remember Daniel's four part model for change, which is listen, ask questions, learn, and then take action. That's a really powerful four step model for you to start using in your life. And a call to action would be to pick up the book how to be anti-racist i've heard this book mentioned a lot of times and now daniel mentioned it here in this interview and i'm going to pick up a copy for myself and give it a read and i feel like you should do the same it seems like this book will give us a really good layer of education on the really important things we know on how to be anti-racist and how to be part of the solution So thanks again for tuning in to another conversation about race. Again, this is a very, very, very important topic. We need to make the change. We need to be the change. And the time is now to do that. So thanks for tuning in. And I will see you next time. Go make those dreams a reality.